But would England have beaten Brazil or Italy? Yeah, obviously that group itself was um, was was famous for what for the games it produced. It, it's, it's very difficult to obviously say because obviously different opponents you raise your game to, to their levels. Oh, you would you would probably say no, given obviously what you know now that we probably wouldn't have beaten them because they were the standout teams. Brazil and Italy were the standout teams of that of that tournament. Stuart Horsfield's book about the Brazil '82 team. Um, yeah. talks about how they were the glorious failures, the greatest team never to win the World Cup. Were you, yeah. more because you were seeing hoofball every week at Plough Lane, watching Brazil, especially on the colour telly in 82, when you're the right age for it, must have been beyond yeah. thrilling. Yeah, I mean, when you watch them through that tournament and scoring goals, not just for fun, but glorious goals. I mean, I can remember three or four that were outside of the area. I mean, you know, that's, that's you know, driven in and, uh, accuracy and pace and the way they'd stroll about almost as like they didn't care because it was that easy for them to do that and it made, made the game look so easy. But obviously they were putting just as much effort in, in as everyone else was, but they, they knew what they were capable of. Um, so when you watch that, and that's the thing I say, you raise your game so simple. So when you're in a game like the, the, the Italy-Brazil game, which is one of the greatest games seen at a World Cup finals, um, both teams, if it had gone on for another 20, 25 minutes, you could have seen another two or three goals, it swung this way and that. That's how good it was. So that's, so that's why I say those two teams were by far and away the best two in, in, in that tournament. And this summer we will see the 40th anniversary, so because... The year it's a nought anniversary, and football journalists love the noughts. Forty years, and it should prompt a spike for sales of Out of the Shadows, which is about England's 1982 team. I've got a book coming out in May. I really don't want to oversell it, but it's about the Youth Cup, which is why I asked about Wimbledon and and youth. And it is on pitch, and pitch have been absolutely extraordinary. Uh, I'm in the closing stages of just getting some transcription. Um, your book, Show Me the Way to Plough Lane, which is your latest one, is going to be followed by Inside Track. Being quite, quite, quite busy this year in the fact that obviously writing, um, I've actually got two and a half books coming out. Jesus. If you can actually count uh, half, but Inside Track is in the pipeline. There is also a book which will come out to coincide with the thirty-fifth anniversary of the FA Cup win, the Wimbledon FA Cup win, which is actually called When Dave Went Up which is the song, obviously, about Besson Winnie going up to uh, collect the cup. Um, so that will be about the Wimbledon, not just the cup win, but the whole journey. So that will be coming out, you know, I think, sort of spring 23, like I say, to coincide with, with the anniversary. Well, I'm very, very um, glad I asked all about that. And then what's the half? Um, the half is a book I'm working on with uh, one of the club historians, and it's an on-this-day book. Um, again, pitch to a good series of On This Day. They do. Where they feature obviously a club and an author or two collaborate to um, get uh, famous um, incidents, games, moments of the club's history throughout the whole year. Well, and now the listener may be a step ahead of me, but you know what's coming. What do you do on an On This Day when the thing that happened in 2004 happened? Do you just put an emoji of like a turd? Okay, so it's 2002. 2002. Yeah. <laughs> 2002. Right, where do we begin? It's a whole season, basically, or more. 
what the, the events led up to that that day when obviously the three man commission from the FA said that the club could move to Milton Keynes. You have to mention it because obviously it's part of the story. Um, so in showing me the way to Clow Lane, um, which I've sort of derived into three parts, three acts, so I say, um, and it's the second act and it takes up the middle section of the book because the, the team at Pitch actually said, actually, there's a whole book of this. If you want to write a book about this alone, it's, you, know, you can do that. And I said... That might be too heavy reading for some of our for some of our fans. There's a lot of people that obviously, as soon as you mention the name or even see the name written down, they just turn away. As we as we uh, found out the other year with the programs and the scoreboards. So that that is still ongoing. It's still very very raw in some people's eyes. And actually, we're due to play Mothic in a couple of weeks' time at, at, at their grounds. So that would be uh, interesting. It has to be told. It's a story. It's part of the story that has to be told. I've had some comments about people who have actually uh, read the book and said that they got quite emotional reading it because it brought back lots of uh, bad memories, as well as the good memories, because obviously you've got to think that for all the bad that was happening throughout the season um, and all the talk of the move, all the uh, this is the way forward, this is the only way we can survive, um, we can't have a football club here anymore unless we do this move... So all this uh, propaganda-type talk that was thrown in our face week in, week out. And obviously the, the, the fans just weren't going to allow this to happen, or at least did their utmost to not allow it to happen. Um, eventually um, failing on that part, but through no fault of their own and effort that was put in throughout the whole of the 2001-2002 season, which actually was quite a decent season on the pitch. Um, we did OK. We, we, we fell away towards the end. Um, and again, the, the people that wanted to move will say, if you got behind the team, we could have actually had quite a, quite a good year. But because you were turning your backs on the club every every game you attended, um, that didn't help the, the, the team. Always blame now, the fans. It's happened since the yeah. Roman times. Always blame the populace, not the guys yeah, in charge. I mean, yeah. it's, it's difficult to obviously get into the psyche of the players, whether it affects them or not. They They knew what was going on but they didn't know the full story. And it was only the full story come out because the fans, again, um, produced a programme, an, an alternative programme. So you had the official match day programme produced by the club. Um, would be like any other football programme you'd pick up at a game. But because they were selling their side of the uh, story, um, you wouldn't hear what was going on with the actual fans. So the fans decided to make their programme called yellow and blue and they did a match program for every single match that season had fans contributing it looked like a normal program except obviously it would say this is what we're going to do this week this is what we wrote to the council about this week we campaigned this week and the momentum would build and the word would would get around of different protests that we would do in the end Charles Koppel, who is obviously the front man for the Moose Bill Keynes, um, he agreed that there would be a fans forum to allow us to have our view. But again, it was all watered down. We could only say what he would allow us to say in these official forums. So in the end, like I say, it was it was turned to the FA. They actually, way, way at the start of the season, they actually, they actually turned, turned it down. They said, we can't allow this to happen. But then uh, Charles Koppel said, well, we need this move to, to, to happen, otherwise we can't survive. And the 
produced all X amount of documents saying this is the reason why. So that's what led to obviously the whole season long uh, campaign and protest. But in the end, it was decided that an independent commission would look at all the whys and wherefores and actually come up with their own fact based, as it were, as it probably the, the best way to put it. Um, a sound choice of what, what to do for, for the club. And two voted for the move. Um, one stayed on the fence and said, can't really do this, but I can see why it could happen. So it was outvoted, two, two to one. And that, that was the end of it. That was the end of the club, basically. Um, in a lot of people's eyes, that was the end. Did any player, when the club changed ownership, did they say, there is no way I am playing for that club I bleed blue, transfer me to another club. I know a lot of players started at AFC, but did anyone just put their career in jeopardy and say, I don't want to play for the new club? Yeah, sorry. So just to rewind, so where, where, the, where the alternative match day programme, Yellow and Blue, was produced, um, a group of uh, people that would obviously be part of that would actually smuggle some of these copies into the dressing room. And they'd pick them up and read them and go, oh, so that's really happening oh, I can see why this is happening now. Because sometimes I wouldn't know why we would maybe turning our backs at the 60-minute mark or why there was only 3,000 fans in and those fans weren't really singing along or doing anything or why there was 8,000 black balloons released and things like this. So all these protests were happening. But when they got wind of uh, the real story and why we were doing these campaigns, they were on site. They could see what was going on. Because, again, a lot of it gets airbrushed out when they're on the training grounds. They're, they're, told, they're only told what they need to hear. Um, in terms of, obviously, players that um, said no or you know, yes and obviously went along for it, look, it's, it's a difficult... I guess it's a difficult situation because they are... They're employed by the employees, club. Yeah. yeah. There, there, there were a fair few that, obviously, eventually did speak out against it. And I remember at the time, the manager, Terry Burton, said, you know, this, this, this can't happen and the actual running of the club was being taken away from his hands. He was having players um, being sold to playoff-challenging rivals without his say-so, without his knowing-so, just to try and balance the books to, tr- to prove their point of we need the money to stay afloat, to drive that, their point home. And he was losing players hand over fist. And he was he was like, well, I can't run a club like this. And he was at his wit's end, so he, he was he was feeling the brunt of it as well. Um, so it was being affected towards the very end of the season. What a very interesting squad, 2001-2. to two. Uh, Kenny Cunningham, Neil Ardley, Wimbledon legends. Uh, Gareth Ainsworth as well. And then young Nigel Rio Coker uh, was at the club. Um, so it was a big, a big mismatch of, of players... And then, obviously, we all found out about what was going on with Milton Keynes, and then AFC Wimbledon was formed, and the rest is to be found in All Together Now, which is Eric Samuelson's book. Um, You wanted to let unheard voices be heard. Uh, So we know the big guys, Ivor Heller, Eric Samuelson, and, uh, oh, the gaffer, the gaffer. Who's the gaffer? Uh, Not Neil Ardley, the one before. Um, Cherry Eames, he was the first one. Yes, 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 yes. Who were the unsung heroes who bridged the old club and the new club that you talked to for the book? When all this was going on, it was uh, quite an instrumental thing happened in the fact that we set up the Don's Trust, born out of uh, a campaign wing uh, of the club called uh, the Wimbledon Independent Supporters Association, WISA for short. They were 
leading a lot of the campaigns, um, but we needed something more stable to, to, to for fans to sort of grab hold of because it's like, okay, all well and good, um, waving a, a banner about and, and chanting, but we needed a proper grounding. So the Don's Trust was very instrumental in the way we took things forward after the move happened. And that was set up by a few people. We had Chris Stewart, who was um, eventually one of the four people that, say four people that set up the club. It's known as the famous four with, uh, so I say, Chris Stewart, Mark Jones, Trevor Williams and Ivor Heller. They're always quoted as being the four that set up the club. They'll always reluctantly say, yes, we did, but there was a lot of other people involved. Thousands, um, yeah. yeah, so obviously... I tried to get the, as many views as I possibly could from those or, or stemming from those away from that and trying to get their voices out into the book. Small, small things like, well, if you're going to have a club, you need somewhere to play. We need someone to obviously get the groundwork going to uh, find someone we, we, we can actually share a ground with. So it's, it was finding those important people. Um, obviously, going back to the Don's Trust, you had people like Luke Carson Kelly, who's, who's uh, featured quite a lot in the book alongside Chris Stewart because they were instrumental in helping set up the trust. A lot of other people were involved. And obviously, they, they seek advice from uh, people like the Football Support Association, um, as it is now. There was a lot of uh, traction behind behind that. So when we was able to go, well, OK, that's happened. It's the end of the club. And that very evening, go, well, why is it the end? We can start again. We've got the trust. We've got money behind us in the trust. All we need to do is find some. <laughs> say all we need to do. All we need to do is find somewhere to play, <laughs> some players, um, someone to actually look after the players, and away we go. And as crazy as that seems, with uh, Wissa, um, Lee Willits was in charge of. Well, I say in charge. He did a lot of the campaigning of, um, on behalf of Wissa and set things up. He was actually of the opinion of that's just crazy talk. We can't just start again. You know, I'd rather. Why, why can't we continue the fight? The, the, the fight isn't over. But we knew then, obviously, once that's, once that's decided, there was no going back. Um, so we had we had a, a good grounding to start from. Then we obviously had the trials on the common for players. Everyone was welcome to come along, try out for the club. We had a manager in place. We had a club crest made. At the 11th hour, we had a ground show agreement with Kingstonian. All these things were put in place with inside four, five, six weeks to actually enable us to start again as AFC Wimbledon. And it was the Cherry Red Stadium in the end. Because were they Wimbledon um, fans, the guys? Yes, um, and, and still to this day, because uh, just this year, uh, the new Plough Lane ground has been renamed the Cherry Red Records Stadium. That's right, so, I was there. Uh, I went. Yeah. Uh, I went to the game in the FA Youth Cup, and it was lovely because all the kids, I don't know if you were there, in October... I think it was very cold. Yep. And yep. I went and went, oh, I didn't know it was named the Cherry Red Stadium. And it had happened like two weeks before. And uh, That's right. I, yep. Plough Lane, the new Plough Lane, which is where we'll finish, because it's so amazing to sit in a Wimbledon stadium on Plough Lane watching football. Sadly, it opened during the pandemic. It was October 2020. So I don't know if you were able to use some uh, press contacts to actually get in the stadium for the first game behind closed doors there? Or did you have to wait until I, the first game with fans? I had to wait until the first game with fans. I, I wasn't that lucky enough. There were a lot of people that were fortunate to, to, to be there as, as invited guests. And again, uh, some of the people I mentioned were, were obviously that were instrumental in helping the club uh, set up. 
the, the fans actually agreed that you know they, these people should sort of go. There were there should be some people that help set up the, uh, the the club that should be allowed to go and attend that first game. Some, some some were invited and some said no. I'd rather wait. I'd rather wait until we're all there because that's when it really is home. Because like we've uh, had recently, you know, football isn't football without fans. So there were some that obviously uh, said no. Let's just wait. We'll ride it out whenever that may be. I'll wait until that happens. That first game home, um, we had a lot of uh, media interest. The actual club did an hour-long special before the game on the gantry, where they had uh, John Scales and Terry Gibson, actually. Uh, they, well, they, they, they were invited guests, and they recalled their times, obviously, playing at the old, the old ground. Because it is literally a long punt of a goal kick. Yep, par, down, four, par down, three down away. Road. Yeah, and yeah. I was there... I think I walked past when it had been raised to the ground or when it was about to. I certainly went to the last night because I, I said to my partner at the time, do you want to go to Wimbledon for the last night of the dogs? The queue was so big that eventually the right. stewards gave up, started letting people in. I thought, I'm not going in there. Not with, not with this security. <laughs> so we went all the way back home. But yeah, just being near Plough Lane and knowing that there was a football team there that rose up the leagues before I was born and they were a Premier League team in the early days or a Premiership team as it was then. And now you actually have a season ticket in Plough Lane. So where is it behind one of the goals? Is it in the shouty bit? It is. We actually got uh, safe standing. So we've actually got uh, rail seating and the whole of the, what is the South Stand. Yep. Uh, But it goes round because obviously, uh, again, a lot of the things were agreed and and voted on by the fans because it's our club. If you're a member of the Don's Trust, you own the club. One share, one vote. So these things were were, were, were put put to votes and we agreed that um, instead of having four separated stands, we'd rather have like a bowl type stand. So it goes round the corners. So in that first corner away from that, it's rail seating as well uh, before it hits the uh, family section. Our crown jewel, as it were, is the main West End, which features three floors. Um, So we've got lots and lots of uh, function rooms and uh, corporate hospitality uh, space we can use now to to increase uh, revenue, which we never had before at uh, Kingstonian's old ground. Mm -hmm. Um, And and even when you go back to uh, the old Plough Lane, we never had facilities like like we've got now. So that's our crown jewel. And the fact that in the main West End, it houses as many fans you could get into the old King's Meadow ground. That's how, how I'll say how big it is, but when that, that's when it sets in. When you look at it and go, we could get our capacity, what we used to play in for like 15 years, into that one stand, you know we're onto something good. It was amazing seeing that corporate section, um, which is in the corner of the ground, rather than embedded within any of the stands, as it is at Watford, for example. Um, and I was just impressed that all the kids had come along and I think Bridge Wilkinson, is that his name? Bridge Wilkinson, the manager? Mark Robinson. Mark Robinson, that Isn't is his they? name. Yeah. Yep. He was there that night and I discovered a guy called Quain Bartley who looks like six okay. foot four, thighs the size of oak. There are a couple of lads who had made their debut earlier in the League Cup or in the EFL trophy. Um, but the youngsters looked good. Uh, the, the young Welshman, I can't remember his name, Shaven Head, looked very, very good indeed. It's in the book that is out on May the 2nd, but we're not here to talk about that. Um, do you know anyone who lives in the new developments? Because you can overlook the football from one of these like 12-storey flats. Yeah, I, I don't know anyone personally, but I know on, on social media there's been someone that has actually, who is actually a Wimbledon fan, and they've 
uh, they co-own with, with with another fan, and he put up some pictures of him in, in what, what his view would be like overlooking the pitch. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure that once uh, those uh, de- that development is all fully complete, because I think there's still some areas where it's not been being tinkered with and worked on. Um, when it fully opens up, there'll be a lot of people with some good views yep. on a match day. Yep, and it, it looks spangly new, and the concourses are wonderful, and the bar was even open. Uh, I think it was a Monday night, actually. It doesn't matter when it was. Wimbledon are out of the Youth Cup. But you are still in the FA Cup. It's Boreham Wood this weekend. This will go out tomorrow. So we talk on the 6th. It goes out on the 7th. And then it's Boreham Wood on the 8th. That is not an easy game. But you um, should win. It isn't, a, it isn't an easy game. Uh, more so the fact, obviously, uh, we've had a few games postponed recently because of the uh, COVID postponements. So we might be a little bit rusty. I hope we shake off the rust before we get there. Morgan Williams. Morgan Williams is the name of the kid. That's it, yeah. So he's got some first-team action? Um, I think he's been on the bench maybe once or twice. I'm not sure if he's actually made his debut. Uh, But but let's go back to what you were saying about, obviously, our our previous system where we had a youth... Our our youth system now is thriving. Uh, The team we have behind the foundation that the academy set up top-notch people looking after the, the, the youngsters coming through. A lot of the signings we've had for this season have been other young players that have, come, have been impressed by like, our setup, knowing that they're going to get a, they're going to get a good chance at, at a long run of, of football because our average age is, is ridiculously low. But that's good from our point of view because under the uh, careful stewardship of, 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 of the management team, they, they are going to thrive. Now, obviously, I can't say for certain they're going to thrive continuously under us because they could get snapped up by someone else. And again, we might be in a position where we would need the money and if this person's offered for silly money, then yep. we might have you to have let to, yeah, you have go. To take the money, yeah. But that's, 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 that's just the way it is. That's, uh, football at this level, is, is this, you know, that's, the way, that's the way it's going to go. But we've, from what I've heard as well, we're looking to obviously get some loan players in this, this month. And um, the last interview I heard with, with the manager, he said that there's a lot of teams, a lot of players that actually want to come to us. We're not searching for players. Players actually want to come and, come and play for us because they've heard such good things about the way we're doing things. That's fab. Although you, you have played four match days fewer than, for instance, Shrewsbury Town. So um, six wins in 21, but four wins in the first 18. So it's been a bit of a hairy season. It's, it's been a bit up and down. And obviously... When, when the, the first game when we had fans in was was a brilliant occasion. Um, it was a three three draw. I mean, you couldn't ask much more. Goal, goals goals flying in all over the place. I think we come back to three one down to, to, to draw three all against Bolton, who, who also made a great atmosphere. So when we have those occasions, again the, the players lift themselves up. And yes, we might have a fixture back world coming our way, especially if we do advance in the FA Cup. Um, so we are going to have to use our, our, our full squad. So these younger players are going to get a look in at some point because we're going to have to use them. I'm just going to have to check if Quain is still there because when I did some research on him, uh, they said uh, man of Arsenal and Chelsea were interested. Oh, yes, he went on work experience, didn't he? The Don's Trust still exists. Ivor is very much still there. Wimbledon, if if you go up, it's a different level. The championship is a, it's a dog-eat-dog-eat-dog. So would Wimbledon be better off, in a way like Wigan Athletic, too good for the fourth tier, probably not rich enough for the second tier, but 
in the way that Accrington punch above their weight, do you think Wimbledon are punching above theirs? Or is this the level they should be, sort of mid-table, third tier? Um, if we be realistic and looking at the current situation, I would say that this is, this is where we, we, we should be. We haven't got the revenue coming in for us to be a, a an established championship side, but at least not yet. We had to find extra funds to actually finish the stadium off in December 2019. There was a bridging gap uh, found in the finances and we had to set up several uh, schemes to actually get us over the line. So we're, actually, we're looking to actually refinance a, a loan of uh, $4 million. So it's no small feat, but we're actually uh, setting up a new bond scheme which uh, anyone can buy into uh, with great interest rates. So that all helps. But we've actually recently set ourselves a five-year plan to actually reach the championship. On the field, um, that's our goal. Once we've... Um, got our feet under the table at Plough Lane. COVID sort of hopefully lifts itself away from us. We can get more functions going on, get those streams coming in from elsewhere other than a match day. Um, that will help the club and we can actually um, advance on the pitch a lot better um, than, we, than we currently are. Because, um, like I say, at the moment, we are a League One team and we have been so for quite a while. And I can't see us really struggling and going down th- th- this year. No, not this year. Um, but but we need to obviously make that next step forward. And I think once 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 we get these extra revenue streams, and another thing of interest as well that's opened up some extra extra cash flow is uh, that we're actually going to be ground sharing from the end of this month. Um, their first game, the London Broncos rugby league team, uh, starts playing there. Oh wow. I didn't know that. I might so, have to get along. That's brilliant. Yep. So that their, their first game is billed on the 30th of January. So they'll be playing every other Sunday. Um, so watch out for them. And again, they, they, they've been a club that's uh, been sort of homeless for a while. They've sort of tried and tested a few places around the area, around London area. But we've given them a, an, an opportunity and hopefully that they'll thrive. Um, and, it, it, and in turn, that will help us out as well. Well, I've just looked at your fixture list. It is scary. So you've got Boreham Wood this weekend. No replay, thank goodness. Uh, and then that team away. And then it seems to be Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Uh, and then in between, t- this will be this will be a test for your groundsman. At home against Shrewsbury on the 29. Cheltenham at home in the evening of the Tuesday. And then you've got the RFL game uh, in between. So it's going to be a busy, busy year. For AFC Wimbledon. Uh, by the way, AFC, Eric Samuelson told me, what does it stand for? Oh, go on, you tell me. Because there's, there's so many variations that people come up with. It's nothing. Eric said that they, they just wanted to be top of the uh, list. But the AFC is a placeholder because they realised that a lot of other clubs would want to do it. So they were the last team to call themselves AFC. I think Berry is yeah, Berry AFC. I think, yeah, one of the names that was... Uh, I think the very first name that when they said, OK, you're sort of... We're setting up a club, and I think the first name they said, we want to be Real Wimbledon. Yeah. And that was said, no, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that tells you all you need to know about the Dons Trust, which are the national football treasures. And I've never met Ivor, but he put me in touch with Eric, who's written this book all together now, out on pitch, which forms a nice compliment to Show Me The Way to Plough Lane, uh, which came out just before Christmas. You, um, I imagine lots of Dons fans have got that for 
Christmas gift. So have they been reading that in the kind of interregnum period between Christmas and Twelfth Night? Yeah, I've seen a lot of people got um, a few pictures sent to me saying they, they, they got it under their tree. And um, a lot of people whizzed through it already. They said they couldn't put it down. So it's all good feedback so far. Jolly good. And it's a book not just for Wimbledon fans because it's about the soul and about what football really means. Because football is nothing, Gary Jordan, without fans like you. I bet you're going to enjoy the next few weeks, Saturday, Tuesday. Uh, you're not going on Tuesday, <laughs> are you, to um, that club up there? No, I won't be. No. How many away fans go? Three? <laughs> I will not, well, I will not put, put a figure on it, but we do take a fair few. And, it is, and it's very much a case of now, it's like there, there was, well, it was originally a, a sort of like a ban. People were saying, you're not going to go there, but we could obviously force everybody not to go. And you have a, a, a new generation of fans. That's the thing as well now. We're looking like, you know, 20 years on, we've got a new generation of fans that have come through and it's their choice. But they know the history. They know that it's not a derby. They know it's not a rivalry. They know it's a game of football that shouldn't really happen. But they want to follow our team, and that's that's what it's all about. They're following our team, and there's lots of people to say when we go, we're not going to spend any money there. We're not going to give them extra money. We're going, you know, we're not going to buy a, a coffee or burger things like that because that's <laughs> giving money to them. And why should we do that? But they want to follow the team, so why not? It's fair play to them, and it's completely their choice. So you have the. Uh, the, the older generation and those that fought through that that campaign that obviously again that their choice that, but they've said they won't set foot in there and that's completely re- re- respected and they they equally respect those that want to follow the football club. Have a fry up in the Watford Gap. Don't have any burrito at that club. Yes, I can have-